welcome to another episode of the Take It All In podcast. Welcome back to the Institute of Creative Arts. Today we have with us another talented artist. Good morning, Zoe. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning. I'm very glad to be here. How are you, first of all? Let's start there. I'm feeling pretty good. Yes, amazing. It's a wonderful sunny day, starting to feel like summer. Shall we start with the questions? Yeah, why not? All right. So first of all, uh, I guess the opening question to all of these podcasts has been, uh, who is Zoe? Who is she as an individual and as an artist? Let's start there. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I would say as an artist, I'm quite the generalist. I, I prefer to have um, different, to work in different mediums. I really just enjoy them. And I also like to explore different art styles myself. So uh, what is it that you're currently studying for those who don't, may not know? Well, right now I'm studying for a BA in the game art and visual design course. Okay, very good. So uh, can you give us a bit of a rundown what that consists of and what sort of what you're, you're taking out of it? Wow, that's a big <laughs> one. <laughs> I have to say that my course is actually one of the most diverse because you actually study all, quite a lot of factors of the game industry and different um, sections of it. I would have to I would have to say that it has to do with um, literally exploring all the facets. So you would have sculpting, 2D animation, um, concept art, but then you also go into the 3D aspects as well, and even the background stuff that you find, like mm -hmm. programming. So, so it's quite vast. So when we talk about game design, what exactly what exactly do we say? Is it uh, the character design? Is it the mechanics of the game? What does it actually consist of? It actually consists of both of them, and that it's understanding how a game mechanics can work with the game to make it more interesting. It's even about how to build the game itself, how to design a level. And then it even go, but then it also goes into the visual aspects of it. So mm -hmm. the character design, the environmental designs, even props as well. So it's quite a, quite a challenging technical and uh, artistic sort of sort of course, I would say. Let's start. Let's start in the beginning. So obviously you've been at MCAST for three years of bachelor's, and I'm assuming for advanced diploma as well. Yeah, that was two years. So about five years. Five years, exactly. Could you give us a bit of a run through uh, what it is you are doing in advanced diploma, maybe? Okay, I would say in the advanced diploma, I was getting my foundations. It's, I would say it was quite essential because it allowed me time to not only know about the basis of art, like, you know, color theory and such, mm -hmm. but it also allowed me to explore the applications that I would use in the future. So for... Um, the artistic side, one of them that we use is Photoshop. So in the advanced diploma, I also had ch chance to explore the application in a way, like literally just learn how to use it. Exactly, exactly. And navigate it. While in the BA, I then explored more of it as well. There was still mm -hmm. quite a bit of relearning it, but it was more at a faster pace. So it would, so having the advanced diploma allowed me to get my footing and then. In the BA, it allowed me to start running in a way. Definitely, definitely. I think I think we should say that diploma is a very good, um, it's a very good formative two years to sort of broaden your horizons when it comes to what you think is out there. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a it's a very it's a very good experience. So let let's take let's take a bit of a step back. 
before you actually enrolled into MCAST. Um, what exactly was it that really attracted you to game design? Why why game design specifically? Is there anything you know anything that you really wanted to do before then? Wow. Um, when it first started, I actually wasn't aiming for game design. I try. I had actually been taking my A levels and my intermediaries at us at a post secondary school, trying to find out what else I could do because when I was growing up sometimes I would hear that it, the difficulty of a path like this sometimes and that would worry me but then I kept on finding myself back to art mm-hmm. and because other things I would enjoy them but none of them would click with me in a way so when I when I decided to go back to when I decided to go back to art Honestly, the first thing that set me on the path then was actually stories. Um, I've always been a lover of stories in books and anything like that. And um, when I when I played video games, I would see a story coming to life. Definitely. Um, I mean, you read a book, it's one experience. But then when you play a video game, it's a whole new experience that allows you to mm-hmm. interact with the story. And... That just really touched me in a way. Uh-huh. I think the benefit of of video games, especially, is uh, I guess besides reading about the story, you kind of get to live live in it in a certain extent. And I think that's what a lot of a lot of people sort of resonate with the fact that um, most of the times you can make the character yourself, as in you can design it through through various various means and ways. Um, and you sort of cater the the experience to how you feel. So definitely, I think um, the let's say the allure of of games is the fact that it's a very immersive experience sometimes. Um, so what do you feel? What 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 aspect about games is that that really you know strikes you the most? What aspect? I'd say. Honestly, like what makes a really, really good game in your eyes? Ooh, that is a very, very loaded question, <laughs> especially because when it comes to that, that's based in subjectivity. So from an objectional point of view, I personally, as you can guess, I a person who loves stories. So for me, a good game has a story mm-hmm. and a good story to tell and is able to be a balance between story and gameplay. It's never leaning too heavily on one side or the other because if you lean too heavily on the narrative side, you get a story, but you're not playing a game. It looks more like an interactive movie most of the time. Yeah, exactly. that's it. Um, and when you're playing a video game, you're playing a game, so mm-hmm. you need to have a fun way of playing it. So for me... That's a good narrative story is a good video game for me, but that's complete. But that's the interesting part of game design. It can be completely different for someone else. Mm-hmm. Like another person could just enjoy that gameplay experience. Exactly. I mean, personally, I think one of my favorite, um, let's say, video game series, let's call it that, is the Uncharted series. I love... I love the whole playthrough aspect and I love the story. And recently, I, I think one of my favorite ones was the, if I'm not mistaken, to centered around pirates, like hunting pirate treasure. And I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, but then there are other games where, 
like you're saying, the story is like really, it's really delved deep and really researched well. But then you get, you don't get so much of that playthrough aspect. Mm-hmm. So how how can how do you think you or any other people in this industry how do you think they can balance these two aspects? Let's let's balance a really good narrative, but make it interactive at the same time. How can we go? How can we do that? Well, that actually has a lot to do with game design as well, which is something that we go inside the course, but on a basic level. Um, we understand the mechanics of their... Unha- In the game design section, we understand the mechanics. The mechanics on what makes a game industry interesting. Um, and in there, you can see how you can actually merge the mechanics to tell the story. It's finding a way to get the narrative aspects to merge with it, to not be such disconnect. So you can't have something which just tells a narrative part, like cutscenes. Cutscenes are good, but if you use them too much, they they make the immersive experience mm-hmm. die. So it's more like finding a way to merge narrative with the mechanics so that while you're playing, you're experiencing the story. So, and it's also finding the mechanics that actually work with the story. Um, for example, you know, have you heard of the game Horizon Zero Dawn? I have. I think it was a bit of a flop, wasn't it? It was a bit of a flop, but at the same time, mechanic-wise, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. It used, the mechanic there was shooting a bow and arrow. And that is something that is intricate to the story and to the character itself. So you have to have your mechanics not just make sense in your environment. You have to make it sense with the character as well. Mm-hmm. But And another game, which I honestly really love as well, was Ori. Uh, I don't think I'm familiar with it. Uh-huh. Ori, the Willow of the Wisps, was really good. You never heard the main character speak. So it allowed you to have an immersive experience. And also, I heard and even experienced myself that people were allowed to interpose themselves on the character since the character was practically a blank slate. But his mechanics and how he interacted with the environment and basically you interacted in the environment made the story so... It makes it unique in a sense, exactly. Compelling. Uh-huh. So um, when it comes to these sort of games where it's more of an open-ended story, whereas mm-hmm. you kind of make the narrative yourself, What is the challenge then when you're designing when you're designing a game like this? When it has to actually um when it's influenced by a person, I would say you have to allow it to be as open as possible. One of the hardest things when it comes to that is that if you have games which allow you choice, mm-hmm. you still have a very select repertoire because To have true choice, it's something unprogram. You can't program. It's unprogrammable, it. exactly. You can't do it. But the thing is, um, in so you have to settle for a set amount of choices, and try to make them as diverse as possible. I think a, a, a really good game which which does this recently is the Assassin's Creed genre. Um, I think it. The last game I played was Odyssey, and I really enjoyed mm-hmm. playing that game because I'm like a really big fan of you know Greek mythology and all that. Um, And I think it it uh, it allowed the player uh, to 
to do more choices that they weren't allowed to do so in previous games. And I think that that worked really well. But at the end of the day, obviously, the game has to have an ending and it has to progress somewhere. Um, so I guess I guess the challenge is whether you give the 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 audience this quote unquote free choice, but you're still trying to to lead them somewhere. So I guess there's a bit of a challenge between that. Mm-hmm. I would I would definitely agree with that because choice is very compelling, especially for the immersive experience because you feel like you're actually what you're doing matters mm-hmm. that you as an individual have an impact but even so it is still difficult to do because you need to still account for you still need to make the game playable playable exactly and on a scope that can actually fit into the platform mm-hmm. so i would say what you have to do is try to make your narrative if you're telling a narrative story try to make your narrative almost as open as possible like if you want like sometimes an open choice can an open ending which um you have um come across where it's the player who fills in the blank and the game stops there is sometimes even almost ending it on a sort of cliffhanger i mean i'm sure that some people have read some books which have ended like that that they it's still an end to the story but the story is still open yes Uh so i think in a way if you want to have a game like that where the person then creates their own narrative then that last step is the step of the person itself it's their own imagination they can either choose to believe it stops at that point or if they imagine it more they can still go they can imagine their own sort of ending as well but what this, what this kind of sort of hint towards possibly another iteration of the game or another continuation of the series? Do you think that um, games have to have a definite ending, or is it does it make more sense when you're when you're a developer to to have a sort of open ending so you can hint to another game possibly? I don't believe that stories are always completely cut out at the end and have an end story. When you think about it, you um, any story, when it ends, it's just an ending of that chapter of those characters' lives. They still have the rest. It's, again, up to imagination. But I would say if a person wants to have a story and make it a sequel, then these kind of open-ended um, games are quite necessary to fill the blanks because it can either it can pave the way for a sequel or it can... It can either be lifted up to become something else mm-hmm. as a sequel, or it can just be left there as well, and just leave the story up to the viewers, up to the player's imagination. And when it comes to to these sequels, for example, let's let's go back to Assassin's Creed. Uh, it's personally one of my favorite series. Uh, when it comes to Assassin's Creed, for example, obviously it's been running for quite a while now. Um, I believe the first game came out in the very early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. And it's still running to this day, almost 20 years later. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to that case, what is the challenge w- between, you know, let's keep things fresh, but let's not deviate too much from our origins? Mm, that, I would say, it is quite difficult. I mean, you have to be true to the world, I would say. 
which is a boon and if not if not um um if not taken in consideration it can actually be a deterrent and even bad for you as well i say it's a boon when it comes to story building because you have your world and your rules already established i mean in assassin's creed you have the templars who are the clear bad, bad guys. guys exactly and you have the order who are the let's quote unquote good guys yeah. exactly <laughs> let's call it that uh, but still there's still some rules that you have to adhere to but i would say um assassin's creed is seems like a continuing story it's a story throughout the ages so with each story it allows developers the chance to inter- to put their own spin of the story mm-hmm. as long as they still adhere to the original rules so exactly when you have a sort of set narrative you can that is your basis and you can kind of work around it so it doesn't exactly have to be you know very very true to the original just inspired or or else motivated by it let's say that you also have to be a bit careful because Remember the original Assassin's Creed the very first one was more gameplay focused I'd mm-hmm. say. Yes, definitely. It was only after that then people started to develop into the narrative. And even then it's been up and down depending on the story either gameplay heavy or narrative heavy. But um and sometimes they have just had that perfect mesh of narrative and gameplay. So I would say You have to I I have to say it again you just have to be a bit careful under respect the foundation in a way understand the foundation but don't be so hesitant to go into something new because mm-hmm. that's the way to keep it fresh because change is always good at the end of the day exactly it's scary but some and sometimes it makes you hesitant but you have to do it if you want to have a fresh idea or a fresh new perspective or even keep players the players the fans interested in the franchise definitely okay that's very good um let's move on a bit back to to you as a student here at Mcast um what has your experience been so far have there been any challenges have you benefited obviously you've benefited from things obviously that goes without saying but is there anything that uh, that really sticks out to you for me i'd say that one of the benefits were actually having a place to discover i mean when i first came into the course i said i want to be a character concept artist and i want to do all this and that but the thi- the thing is character concept art is a- is one of the most in demand sections in demand not in the industry but it's in the most in demand for applicants because they think it's character concept art is the pinnacle when there are actually other sections in the industry like the environment and the props they're just not lauded as much as for some reason i have to say one of the major benefits was to have an environment where i could experiment find out my likes and dislikes when it came to the art industry and also have a place also in a way having time some in between the assignments and everything <laughs> and though those assignments did actually help to
go into my portfolio a bit. But um, again, time to actually experiment and find your style and everything. But I have to say, from my beginning, when I first came in as I want to be a character concept artist, I have found an interest in not just character design, but in, in environments, in props, in the 3D aspect as well. Like 3D design, modeling really interests me. And even something which is really intricate to the game industry is the technical aspect. I'm interested in the 3D rigging aspect. That is something also interesting to me. And animation. There are all factors which I didn't consider, mm -hmm. but only by doing this course, I was able to see, oh, you there's this part of the industry or this part. I mean, when you think of the technical aspect, you're like, oh my, that's programming. <laughs> especially for an artist but um, then you find out that sometimes it's just a visual thing and um, a visual thing made a technical way mm -hmm. obviously things things take time to develop we're not expecting anyone to sort of come into this course and be a full-fledged game designer from day one no so what has your process been so far uh, from the start leading up you leading you to where you are today my process, I think one of the things that really helped me, especially when it came to different sections, was to actually be open to them. Some things that you think that aren't, that wouldn't affect you because you would have a set idea, but that you then have to be, I would say, open and having the grit in a way to mm. keep going because I, I've said it before, this is a very diverse subject, but it's and it can be challenging, but it's rewarding if you keep going because then you find different you find different aspects, you find different skills that you can pick up. So I'd say part of my process was actually being open to everything, willing to try every single section and try as hard as I can in every single section. So at this moment in time, what what uh, what part of game design really really resonates with you? Because you mentioned that you really wanted to get into character development towards the start, but now that you've had the opportunity to experience all of these things, what exactly really really resonates with you, and what you think you can really work on? Well, character is still one thing, but I don't want it to be my only thing. I'm quite a generalist artist that means I have different mediums that I explore in and different aspects of the industry that I explore in so as I said before along with character I'm interested in learning about the environments environmental concept art prop concept art 3d modeling and 3d rigging so I have and even animation if need be I find that all of them are quite interesting and I find that, yes, it's good to specialize in something, but in the beginning, I'd say being a generalist and then finding the thing and then finding something Your that... niche. Yeah, mm -hmm. or the thing that you really want to specialize in because while you're a generalist, you're open to more opportunities in the industry, in the game industry, I would say. So I guess your advice to any new prospective students would be don't settle for something too specific from the get-go be an open book sort of the fact that you can take in all of this information would really benefit you 
in the future. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd say. Um, do be open to everything. Even if you think that it won't help you in the future or something that it won't influence you in the future, you find that it might. I mean, in my first year of this course, I actually took sculpting, literal clay sculpting. And one of them would think, well, what does that have to do with game and everything? But in the industry, um, you have artists actually physically sculpting. You have ZBrush, which is an actual digital sculpting tool. So if And you can use it to create characters and models in a 3D aspect. So understanding how you to actually sculpt with clay can lead to helping you understanding mm -hmm. how to do it in a 3D environment. So yeah, being open, I would say, is quite important in this course. Definitely. I think, again, um, a really important point we should mention is the, the physicality which we get here at MCAS. The fact that... Um, Contrary to sort of traditional uh, academia where, you know, you read the book, you get you sit down for an exam towards the year. It's completely different over here. <laughs> it's completely different in the sense that you are you have a more hands on experience with the industry. Uh, so knowing that fact. Um, and if, if you have, have had any experience in the industry so far. Your time here at MCAS so far, how has that shaped you and how has that helped you to tra uh, transition easier into working in the industry? I think I very much um, believe that MCAS' um, mentality of having students do assignments and having deadlines is quite important. I mean, inside the workforce, you don't, you don't have um, a test that you do on one day. Your life is about deadlines, especially in the especially in the artistic industry. So, I I think that being here at MCOST and having that experience of deadlines, time management, and how to juggle different aspects at the same time was quite important. When I I have done internships in the past with different companies, I've even gone on Erasmus abroad. And I found that having this deadline mentality mm. actually prepared me for that workforce. It made me think, okay, I have to do this, this, and this before this day and this day. So, which is something that you find in the workforce. They say, they don't tell you, you only have one day, study all of this, and then you'll be free for a month. You have, okay, you have, I need you to do this this week. I need you next week to do... It's a constant, ongoing thing. Uh -huh. It's constant. It's um, That's one of the things that I'd say MCOS prepared me in a very across-the-board sense for the workforce. It gave me an idea on how an actual... how it would be to actually work in this industry. It's by deadlines. It's about actually practical experience. It's getting your body used to the habit of... Mm -hmm working like this which i say helped me a lot when i actually did these internships because it made the transition process halved or even just it made things through. easier because uh, i guess instead of you having to study for a number of years and then being spat out on the in into the industry after you graduate it's it's a sort of gradual process um my point which i wanted wanted to mention is you mentioned erasmus earlier mm -hmm. 
And obviously, um, foreign companies may have a different approach to things from those local. Can you talk about a bit your experience overseas and how how um, what lessons you have learned from that? Well, when I went to the Erasmus, <coughs> I have to say, I learned more independence. I learned how to think for myself. I mean, again, when you're doing things here, um, when inside the MCOST, you're doing things and you have a teacher over you. So you have a kind of security blanket. When you're in a workforce, and especially abroad, you don't have that. You have supervisors, but you still have to think for yourself. I'd also have to say that compared to Malta and abroad, the mentality is different. It's When you go abroad, you see more of the world. I love Malta. I love it. It's my home and everything. But until you go abroad, you don't... I think you, even though we have globalization and everything, you don't really understand how big the world can be and how diverse ideas are or what even is important because you have one thing which is important on an island, but then you find out there's so many other things that you didn't think would be important or wouldn't think would be beneficial and you find out it is in other countries as well. So I say that doing doing the Erasmus going abroad actually working with foreign with um, different countries and different people there it broadened my horizons and made me think more than you would if you were just on an island mm-hmm. it even made you th- it may even helped me come up with different ideas on how on how um, to improve myself because you find how the world works differently in things. I mean, come on, just one simple concept, the subway. I, I miss that over <laughs> there. I miss that. Yes, definitely. Um, I, I think uh, a, a good point we should mention is that, okay, granted that, you know, when you're, when you're here in Malta, you, have a, you still have a safety blanket. Whereas, you know, if you decide that the course really isn't for you, you can always take a few years off, clear your mind and then, go back into go back into studying i think a good point to mention is that when you're on erasmus you are completely alone to a certain extent well well basically what i'm trying to say with this is that you kind of have to push yourself to to work a bit more because obviously uh, at the end of the day you you you're technically working in the industry basically mm-hmm. so um I think it's a very good experience to sort of like push your boundaries a bit more. I actually believe that. I mean, I had, I was quite independent in Malta, but I still had my family, my friends, my environment, which I was used to. I mean, I don't know about you, but I practically know a lot about the island, like the back of my hand almost. But um, when you're abroad, like you said, it's independence. I mean, the Erasmus group tries not to let you go by yourself. They try to pick you, they try to pair you up with other students as well. Mm -hmm. But even so, when I had gone to the Erasmus, I was technically by myself because the students I was with were different students from different courses. I didn't know them. But I think it allows you to 
be more open to things you weren't. I may I became friends with them quite easily. I um and also because I went on the Erasmus, I found more individuality. But I also found uh confidence on that individuality. I mean you can know you're you're independent here, but when you're abroad and you're doing an Erasmus, you have to be the independent. So then you find out what you can actually do. So it's it's not like a soft um, a soft affirm affirmation like you get from your friends and your family, like say, "Oh, you can do this," but you know. Would you say it's liberating in some sense? I'd say it's scarily liberating. <laughs> Because to do that, you have to have the courage to take the first step. And when you do take that first step, you find out all the things that you were capable of, which you didn't even know you were capable of. I mean, when I did it, I was terrified. First, first few months leading up to it, I had made a decision, but I was scared. But then after the first week, the second week, and this is me, it's not, um, that's not the broad thing, that you do it fine on the first two weeks alone. <laughs> but um, again, I was like, wow, it's like this, I can do this. Mm -hmm. So I think it's more of a, let's take the leap of faith and then see how things pan out. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like you're going to be completely cut off from no, your family. No, definitely not. And, or from the Erasmus office, you could contact them anytime. And... I found that the place I worked in, they were very friendly, very open. And um, it was also a way to see how a different culture, how people act in a different culture, which at the same time was nice as well. So it's quite o an eye opening experience, would you say? Yeah. OK, so let's take let's deviate a bit from from MCAS and uh, from the course for a moment. Apart from, so obviously, apart from uh, game design, what other hobbies do you have or sort of what any other form of artistic e expression would you go through when it's not game design? When it's not game design? Um, I would say when it came to artistic expression, I'd, I'd say it does come to digital painting a lot and even just illustration, artistic-wise. I mean, I have to... I, even before I joined this course, drawing was one of the things that I loved the most. So it's um, like sometimes I would um, go somewhere and I would sketch just simple pencil, paper and just an, er and an eraser and just sketch what I see, the environment or even a subject. But um, and even I even used to go with a group and we would meet sometimes and we'd just do an hour of just drawing, simple drawing. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that sometimes for me, for my artistic hobby, it was just sometimes just simply drawing without having to worry about the technicalities or mm -hmm. anything. Exactly. Just putting paper to pen pencil to paper and just drawing what's inside your head or what I you think every every once in a while it's very it's very good it's a very good practice to sort of dissociate yourself from the course just for a little just for a little while because obviously uh, especially towards the end of the, of the third year things get a bit more hectic with with planning the exhibition and and your dissertation mm -hmm. so when when you do need to have a break what is the the one thing you go for like the first thing you do 
when I need a break, I open a book. <laughs> that, like I said, my go-to book. I, um, because it's just a bunch of words, I just use my imagination. I don't have to draw anything out. And if I just need a break from, just a break with my hand from drawing too much, I just open a book and I just read a story that I enjoy. Okay. And, or I try and discover any news stories. It's refreshes my brain in a way, knowing when to stop, even if it's just for a short time, just to give your brain, your body, a good cool down moment is important. Even the, the change of environment, it kind of refreshes your brain a bit because, you know, getting, mm -hmm. like you've said, when, you, when your desk is in your room waking up and that being the first thing you see after a while, you know, after a month, after two months, it gets, mm. it gets really tiring, you know. And it also reminds you on how beautiful the world can be. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned the sunset. I mean, sometimes when I am disconnecting, just looking up and I see the sunset, I'm like, oh, wow. And I'm like, I get out off my desk, I go on the balcony and I just watch it. Or mm -hmm. even when there's a good storm happening. Sometimes it's... It's things we take for granted most days. But it's, it's again, it's these little things that really help. I mean, at the end of the day, this is uh, not going to not going to, you know, sugarcoat things. Um, I've struggled recently. You know, it's it's been a, it's been a challenge, um, mainly because, you know, you you'd be overloaded with so much and you want to you want to prove so much. But at the end of the day, I think it's very important that you cannot let your work define you. Although it's, again, like you mentioned, it's a very, very big part of you, especially as an artist, you know, it's practically what you're working towards. But at the same time, you still have to remember that you are what really matters, you know, that you, that mm -hmm. you have to focus on yourself most of the time. So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, even though you may find challenges throughout the way, it's not always, you know, it's not always the end of the day, even when you think you're about to give up. I think taking a step back is always a good a good thing, kind of thing. Well, honestly speaking, it's better both. <laughs> Sometimes it has to be. Yeah, mostly because it has to be. Um, I would say that for myself as a person, my, I, um, my calmest moments are when I can let the creativity flow. Mm -hmm. So when I'm coming with the uh, coming up with the concepts and such, or even the designs, I would say your calmest is your best because you don't when you're trying to force something, you either don't get anything or what you get isn't exactly stellar. But I have to be realistic here as well. My manic energy when I have a deadline is one of the things that forces me to keep going and get that grit mm -hmm. to literally put to continue even when you think that you can't it's it's like pushing past your limits in your way i mean again it's a, it, i guess it's a point of you know finding a balance between these two extreme i mean you can't well let's not call them extremes but you'd have to, <laughs> you, they are sometimes they are a bit when you they are a bit. when you see the manic energy that you have <laughs> and then you see the almost chillness they are like night and day. But uh, you, uh, I guess it's fine. It's all about finding a balance between, you know, um, 
know, balancing your time, managing mm-hmm. your time well, knowing what you can and cannot do. Uh, so yeah, this is a, it's a very big part of, of the whole journey. And I think uh, it's something we have to face one time or the other. Well, okay. this multiple times sometimes. <laughs> okay, let's move a bit forward and um, to what I like to call a deeper, deeper question. If you had the opportunity to have dinner with an artist or an individual who really influences you, who's dead or alive, mm-hmm. who would that be and why? Well... It can be multiple people, by the way, because we've had we've had guests who had a whole dinner party instead of a dinner date. So if you feel like there's uh, more people you'd, you'd wish to include, feel free to do so. Okay, so I'd have to say one of them would be Dylan Cole. Um, another one would be Nibble Art. And another would be Pirate Eba. Okay. I know two of those names sound weird. But I'm not familiar with, with most of them, unfortunately. No, it's fine. Excuse my ignorance. No, it's fine. Um, so wh- why, why these people? Well, Dylan Cole, he's a matte artist. He has actually done environments for movies. Like, you know, the giant blue aliens mm. in Avatar? Okay, okay. He did the environments for that. So like the set, so to speak. Yes, he's an amazing environmental artist. Oh, wow, okay. Matte painting is a different version from digital painting, like mm-hmm. what I do. But it's something I would like to do. Um, like, just even to explore it and get better. But I would like to know how he does this composition. Like, how, how he comes up with it sometimes. Because he seems like an interesting individual as well. Nibble art, on the other hand is an online artist, that's the pen name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really don't get any intima- information except that it's a she, supposedly. But So it's, it's an anon- uh, anonymous artist. Yeah, um, and I would like, she mostly does um, portraits and character design, and sometimes they're really good. She does um, some character design of um, of figures from video games or stuff like that Mm -hmm. and she even does her own commissions like she even did one time a book cover of a character for a series that i liked and i'd like to talk to her because you find that character art very good very in demand but sometimes a bit too difficult so (laughs) i'd just like to talk to her and just know her process like how she goes about it Mm -hmm. pirate eba i'd really like to talk to Again, an anonymous person. Now, this person, you literally know nothing. You don't even know the gender. So ah, okay. For they. But they are an online um, author. They write a web series called The Wandering In. Mm-hmm. And I would love to talk to them because of their creativity. I mean, their creativity, if you think about it, it would be the base of, even if it's, just the written words having being creative and being imaginative is quite important you would say in the arts definitely i think it's it's an asset yes and this person manages to update her store their story twice a week really long chapters and she's and they've kept the story 
interesting. I mean, eight volumes right now. Wow. I've I've never read a story which has which has been more than a trilogy or five books. But this person has long chapters, mm-hmm. long volumes as well. So like some of her chap some of their chapters have been like um seventy two chapters and each of them long like more than almost 30,000 words sometimes wow okay so so would it be more about uh, their work or would you sort of focus more about who they are as an individual rather than as an artist I'd also want to know them as an individual because you have to wonder what kind of person can do this mm-hmm. you have to think wow I mean I know some I know I didn't mention a game artist but that's because I mostly as, I mostly associate with the games made and it's not just one person who makes a no, game it's a whole whole team exactly yeah it's even even if you're just doing the concept art or the 3D it's a team so I can't say that because then I wouldn't have a I wouldn't just have a table I'd have a banquet hall <laughs> So that's why I mentioned these artists as well, these artists, because one of them is environments, Mm -hmm. one of them does characters, and one of them is really good at stories and creativity. I I guess they would still sort of be attributed to to game design, because like you mentioned, uh, one of them designs like sets, Mm -hmm. I guess that would be one part of game design and another one designs characters and that would be another part and and um, the other one designs uh, sorry um, you know writes narratives writes stories mm-hmm. so all these all these sort of amalgamate into into what essentially is game design the bare bones of it yeah the part that we experience but and yeah i would like to talk with them because i would think that they must have really interesting personalities. You have to admit that a person who can do all these things must be quite an interesting person, or there must be something about them that has that spark mm-hmm. that allow that allows them to keep going. So, I'd so like. So you'd like to sort of tap in into who they actually are. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you? I mean, yes, we when we have people that we admire we mostly admire their work mm-hmm. but that's one part of that's them. one part of them exactly that's like i said your work is a part of you it doesn't define you so yeah i would be interested in knowing these people more because after all they're a person so uh, i think the only difference between me and them is experience and skill mm-hmm. and that's something you can learn so i'd like to know who the person is before they came or even before they came who they are and how they are now okay okay very interesting let's move on to another one of our uh let's say throwback episodes not episodes questions mm-hmm. um if you were to go back in time five years and you'd have the ability to speak to to yourself zoe five years ago mm-hmm. just about as she's going to sort of sign the paper to enroll into MCAST. Um, what what kind of advice would you give to Zoe five years ago? Me five years ago? Like with a with 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 hindsight and with all the things you've experienced throughout the throughout your journey. Mm-hmm. I would say 
again with the openness, but not just to rely on MCOST for everything. MCOST is here to guide you, but it's not here to spoon feed you. I mean, again, in the industry, they're not going to spoon feed you Definitely either. Not. So if you don't know something, find out for yourself. If you can't do something, do it for yourself. Um, I'd say don't don't be so reliant overly don't be overly reliant on MCOS mm -hmm. try to learn things outside of MCOS so if you're if you don't know how to paint this for example try and find out how to do it so be open to teaching yourself be open to failure as well because uh, that's a very big part of of the journey I think yeah it's it's the bitter pill to swallow, but it is important because you learn more when you fail than when you succeed. Mm -hmm. I mean, success, pretty nice. But I would say when you're learning, when you're trying to teach yourself, it's okay to fail when you're teaching yourself as I well. I tend to agree. Or even, or even when it's doing official learning. As long as you learn from it mm -hmm. and don't let the failure sit with you i think uh, like you mentioned it's initially you know it's a, it's a very bitter pill to swallow because obviously you go into anything with the hopes of succeeding the first try but i guess there's a differentiation between failing and leaving it at that mm -hmm. and failing learning from your experiences you know analyzing what went wrong, mm -hmm. how did it go wrong, and what you can do differently. So I guess, I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, failing is, is part of the success. Mm -hmm. not, not, just, not just in the arts. It's, it's, it's a part of life in general, I feel. And I think that's something which I've sort of had to really learn. Yeah. And I'd say something that goes hand in hand with failure is to not be so harsh on yourself. <coughs> Definitely not. I mean, when you fail or even when you're having your back against uh, between a rock and a hard place, when you're having your deadlines and you're feeling stress and you think, mm -hmm. oh, my, oh, my God, I'm going to fail or I'm not going to be able to do this. Or I'd say one of the things that go hand in hand in it is to not be so harsh on yourself. I mean, you really want to, and sometimes we have been thought that if we fail, it's a bad thing, that you've done something wrong, mm -hmm. that you're going to screw up your entire life. I mean... But it's uh, not that. Exactly. It's, it's, it's far from that. I mean, look at, you know, Steve Jobs, mm -hmm. Bill Gates. Uh, a lot of really famous people, you know, have, have either dropped out of school or you know, realize that, you know, education really, what, tr traditional education isn't for me. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm not encouraging anyone to drop out. No, no, here, definitely not. Definitely. We're not, we're no, not no. encouraging anyone to drop out or, no, no. you know, go into to anything with the intention of no, failing. No, no, that's nothing. That's not, not what we want no, to no, promote. No, but I, I guess what we're trying to say is, I think failure is, is, is an integral part of, of your successful journey. It's, part of life i mean there is no such thing as a perfect being no it's impossible please get it out of your head 
but but to anyone who's listening perfection is impossible to come about you just so that's why i say try not to be so harsh on yourself mm-hmm. when you fail because it's a part it's part of you and you need to be you need to be harsh when it comes to picking yourself up or when you're coming to um you need to be tough with yourself then but you do not need to be tough with yourself when you don't manage to do something mm-hmm. try to learn from that something i mean you always have you know you always have another opportunity to revisit mm-hmm. or redo any anything which you fail and uh, i guess an important thing we should really mention is the the support system we have here um i think without without a lot of uh, without a lot of people uh, directly involved at Mcast i wouldn't i wouldn't really be here today um i guess a big shout out would go to gary hampton uh, and to Therese de Bono one of two of my you know tutors and lecturers who sort of you know encourages me to keep on keep on pushing and not really be scared of failing and even when i have failed i guess it, they just emphasize the fact that you know you mm-hmm. can you can try again it's not the end of the day mm-hmm. so i guess a very a very good a very good point we should mention is that you know there's a, an incredible support system which we have here and when you do fail or if you do fail it's not the end of the day and there's a lot of people that can help you overcome it who have mm-hmm. failed themselves who sort of know what it feels like to fail <laughs> um so yeah it's i guess it's a very very good thing to keep in mind yeah and sometimes a failure can open something up in your eyes for you I'm not speaking I'm just not not only speaking for myself I'm you know speaking I guess for the experiences I've had with other people uh it's that you know not all the units are going to really fit with you mm-hmm. and your style as perfectly as you you'd hope no. and that's completely normal you know we all have we all have different strengths we all have different weaknesses I guess it's a point of you know working with with those aspects and sort of pushing yourself forward to the point where you know okay this isn't my thing let me get it out of the way and I'll move on to something bigger yeah so there's always there's always that opportunity and again the support system is 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 what it is and it sort of helps you uh, to overcome that yeah it did it did actually help me with the support system that very first year and um that support system looking at it from a different angle allowed me to see what i like what resonates with me and mm-hmm. allowed me to go back at, at it again from a different angle i guess it's, it's good fine. it's good to sort of go through things and realize okay i don't really vibe with this too much mm-hmm. rather than you know saying i don't like it i'm not going to do it yeah it's a lot like food i guess yeah give something a chance before you completely discount mm-hmm. it okay Let's uh let's move on a bit towards uh the thesis, the big thesis, the dissertation. Uh can you talk about uh what your project is, sort of your process so far, how things are going and where you expect it to go? Oh well. Well, my thesis it's quite uh let's call it a doozy. <laughs> it's large. Um my project 
basically, I, as you can guess, I'm par I'm passionate about stories along with art. So I wanted to see, show, demonstrate how in um, narrative video games, you still find the seven story archetypes inside of it. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I'm not too familiar, no. It's basically a, the a theory that over in the course of many books that this um, person had come across, that he, he always came across seven different story story types so in other words uh, a story okay. would progress in that way like um for example the one which i'm doing is rags to riches ah okay so it's like um uh let's say it's like the character development like when you say rags to riches mm -hmm. do you mean it's like you you go from let's take assassin's creed for example again yeah you go from like this sort of poor kind of guy to something to someone who's like really influential that kind of thing well i would say assassin's creed wouldn't honestly be a rags to riches it would be more on overcoming the monster or okay. even the so give us quest. give us a bit of give us an overview on what these sort of archetypes are okay so these archetypes are basically how the story will progress in a way or what the story centers around so Overcoming the monster, as you may guess from the title, is literally a story which follows the journey of the main character whose main goal is to defeat this monster. Mm -hmm. The monster can take any forms. It could be an organization. It could be an actual monster. It could be a person. But it's literally the story shows how this person starts and how they progress to actually de defeating the monster. Mm -hmm. A rags to riches story would be a character which has nothing, literally bottom of the barrel in society and everything. And then throughout their story, they gain renown and they become famous and they become respected as well until they become, by the end, they become someone important. Mm -hmm. And they can either become someone important, special, even powerful as well. Um... And the quest, which I think actually links with a lot of with Assassin's Creed, is actually um, something where the character's goal is to retrieve something. So that can either make their life better or can make their lives better for the whole. Mm -hmm. In Assassin's Creed, pieces of Eden. Every, every time, almost every time we have an Assassin's Creed story, the goal has been to get a piece of Eden before the Templars. Mm -hmm, exactly and we see the story how they progress to how the main character with this goal in mind tries to get this piece of eden and how their story comes okay. from that so going back to your dissertation mm -hmm. um give us a run through on uh, what that what that is so i wanted to show how not only do video games still have these archetypes because when this theory first came out, it was mostly with books, okay, mm -hmm. and may mostly with books that he used it. So I wanted to show that um, with narrative stories as well, you still have these archetypes in play, but uh, that didn't feel like enough. So I wanted to see how this these archetypes, how they would react, or if they could be even merged with another theory, which is the evoked narrative by um, Jenkins. Um, and from there, I wanted to see if with these 
two theories in mind if actually the process of creating a narrative video game story if they actually aided me in doing it okay so basically an evoked narrative would be a story which is derived from a previous franchise so really good an example of this is um the hunger game books an evoked narrative would be the hunger game movies Mm -hmm. as well it can and an evoked narrative can come up in many ways it can either be a complete replication into something new it can be a branching story so it can be a side story from the main line or it can be a completely different story but still set in the same world and having the same rules okay okay like if you think about it Assassin's Creed is a series of evoked narratives uh-huh. so basically what my project is I'm literally building a game I've um, created a narrative I've actually changed it to fit a video game and now I've created the content and I'm actually building and programming a very, very short story prototype video game. It's quite large, but still, short story is the key here. Okay. When it comes to the exhibition, mm-hmm. how are we going to be seeing this? My work would... Um, I w- I'm going to see if it can be actually put on the website for a short while. Um, I've al- and also if I have the permissions from the um, actual evoke narrative that I now the franchise that I've actually worked with they gave me my permission to work on the project I'm going to see if they will allow it for the website and for the Spati creative mm-hmm. though I'm quite I'm feeling quite positive that they will they as such it would mostly be displayed on screens as well mm-hmm. but I will be putting some posters of the content that I have been doing up okay. as well so very good. I guess if if the listeners want to see more and uh, experience it for themselves, I would encourage you to visit us at Spazio Creative throughout uh, July, um, and obviously take a look at at obviously Zoe's work and and all of our work there. Uh, so thank you, Zoe. It's been a very interesting conversation so far. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I have. Uh, it's it's been, been a very, very eye-opening experience, I feel. I have. I've very enjoyed this experience. Thank you for having me. Thank you for um, talking with me in the first place of and course, having me on the course. podcast. Thank you very much. Well, to the listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you've been enjoying the episode so far. We hope to see you at Spazio Creative in July. And tune in to the next episode of Take It All In. Yeah.